2: Thank you for downloading this podcast from The Reedy Clubby Show on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. For more, please go to 702.co.za or capetalk.co.za. Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. Open
0: line. Twenty three and a half to go before ten. Uh, Thomas has this. Uh Vichiba, first of all, thanks for the reminder. It says, Did you know you said Barry Null at some point, bro? No, I didn't. Thank you very much. Thomas, you don't pick these things up. You don't what? what's wrong with you, bruh? Do you only focus when Rudy's on the show? I don't like that. <laughs> Levi <laughs> Makwala, though on Twitter says, Is Udo going to do the eleven o'clock show with Doctor Eve? As if I can't have a discussion about sex. Yo yeah. Yes I am, Levi Makwala And we're we going to be talking about the libido And uh, those sex potency drugs That men are buying all over the place at the moment Meanwhile, open line to you uh, Keep those calls, those SMS's Those tweets coming in uh, Madlan Duna in Soweto Good morning
1: uh, Udo, you yes. remember the viral gene story In the mm. in, in, mid, mid-90s or late 90s yeah. Where the user of Pretoria came out And said somebody in the, in the lab they found a cure for 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 HIV, an, an anti-HIV drug, mm. and and it turns this thing was just toxic, mm. you know. Mm. Uh, they just it was just by chance that whatever 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 experiment they did, it worked. Now now coming to this Ebola thing, uh, and the, and the anti the, this monoclonal antibody yeah. to, to the Ebola virus, which is fantastic. I mean, I'm excited that at least someone somewhere had been working on this thing, yeah. but if if it was, uh, if, if this experiment or this treatment for this particular for this particular patients had gone wrong, mm, you, can, mm. you can you can you can imagine the amount of criticism. In the story of the variety, in the Minister of Health, actually went out to Pretoria. It was a big excitement that you know we found we found you know the the the, 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 the you know the, the, the right thing. Mm. But 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 if it doesn't work out, it it becomes a problem. So 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 following ethics protects us, you know, from such things. For mm. such mishaps, mm. and 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 I'm sure, in the case of these two patients who were given the the, the monoclonal antibody for the Ebola, those those were those were followed uh, to the core.
0: All right, uh, Madlanduna and Soweta. I don't know if they were followed to the core, but we we had uh, Doctor Evian earlier saying, or was it uh, the Prof who was saying that in the instance of the doctor, he would have been in a good position to have made that call for himself. But I think there's been agreement that. Uh, Countries can't decide on behalf of the people who've been uh, infected to be using an experimental drug that up until this point has only been tested on primates. Russell in Lanasia, good morning.
3: Good morning, Udo. Uh,
1: if I have a 99% chance of dying, mm. and uh, I'm sure that I'm going to do that, then if there is a cure available or some sort of test uh, that, that, that can be performed on me, I would definitely go for it. It is only survival. Mm. And mm. yes, like your previous speaker said, if it didn't work out, and uh, there would have been a catastrophe and the world would have criticized. But that is the odds that we have when we are in a survival mode.
0: Mm. Mm. Wrestling it didn't... is
1: just like that.
0: Yeah, I got you. I got you. Thanks so much for the call. Staying in LaNasia, is it Sir Rosa? Hi, Udo. Yes, ma'am. Good morning.
1: Good morning. I'm a little bit nervous. I haven't spoken to no, the radio Just talk before. to
0: me. Don't worry about the other people. Just talk to me.
1: <laughs> I'd actually, I'd actually just like to um, correct a lady that called just now about all the Christian people being evicted from um, Iraq by mm. ISIS. Mm. It's not just Christian people that are being uh, evicted; uh, Muslim minorities as well. Uh, she should just be aware of that, and I'd like to make the people aware of that out there as well.
0: Okay. Got All you. Right. Thank, Thank you very you. much. See, no no need for nerves. Ne? <laughs> <laughs>
1: thanks very a, much. Th-
0: thanks so much for the call. Fantastic. Right. 20 minutes to go before 10. Folks, your calls en masse for the Naked Scientist. 11 double one eight eight three zero seven zero two, Cape Town, 21 The man is available and ready to field your calls on anything. That's how great he is call us right now talk
2: radio. talk radio 702 and 567 cape talk the naked scientist
0: it's brought to you by Grolsch premium lager Hey, my favorite beer man Grolsch. choose interesting not for sale to persons under the age of 18 and i love that sweet gap so chris smith is in auckland new zealand hello chris
3: hello uh,
0: what takes you to uh, that side of the world
3: Oh, a couple of (laughs) aeroplanes. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Um, It's a Friday, I'll forgive you. Sorry. It, no, it's normally in the hospital when I have a patient who comes in and you say to them, "So, ha- what brought you into hospital in, yeah. in, intending to elicit a kind of history of whatever was wrong with yeah, them. They yeah. normally, the jokers say, an ambulance, <laughs> uh, <laughs> prompting me to turn the joke around. And you, Sorry about that. So no, what's actually happening? Um, I've got this visiting professorship at Murdoch University in Western Australia. Mm-hmm. And we also help uh, some guys at Radio New Zealand to make one of their programs mm. each week or so on, on science. And when they found out I was going to pop over to go to Western Australia, the guys here in New Zealand said, why don't you come over and we'll do some bits and pieces. So en route to Australia, I've popped in here and we're actually going to do two shows from here. We're going to do sort of live shows on stage at the University of Auckland and also one down in Wellington, one of the other cities here. And um, we basically just... um, Giving away tickets and Mm. people are going to come along and we're going to have a lot of academics from the university coming on to talk about their research and they're going to show us some experiments and that kind of thing and we're Mm. going to record this off Mm. and uh, broadcast it onto Radio New Zealand tomorrow and then onto other radio stations around the world so it's quite fun actually I I need to learn what what we're going to be interviewing these people about so I know what to say tomorrow (laughs) and uh, I've only had about three hours sleep in the last three days because tell you what the time difference is is sort of 12 hours so my body clock is completely upside down
0: I'm I'm (laughs) sure you will be in your best form when you need to be uh, christmas before we go to and the calls are coming in thick and fast medically w- what is the difficulty in either curing or treating ebola
3: well ebola is a hemorrhagic fever it's a virus and the first thing it does when it gets into the body is it attacks your own immune system and the virus grows in cells called dendritic cells And in the course of doing that, it makes loads more virus particles that can then go and infect other cells. But it also produces huge amounts of uh, inflammatory signals that send the immune system haywire. And at the same time, a lot of your lymphocytes, the first line of defense against infections, they kill themselves. So it effectively dismantles, deactivates, and throws your entire immune response into disarray. And this means that you effectively have a sort of shock syndrome and it's very often fatal, 70 to 90% of people will die from this. There is no active treatment we can give that's, that's effective against the virus at the moment. People are trying some drugs, they've got some experimental chemicals, but there's nothing actually on the market or in the clinic yet, and they're looking for various vaccines we might be able to use and um, there's some in development again but there's nothing that's actually approved for human use yet mm. so the only thing we can do for ebola victims is to give them supportive management we prop up the function of their organs which are being uh, damaged by this shock state of mm. the body being in an infl- inflammatory overdrive and try to keep things going while the person then effectively recovers themselves
0: all right. The Naked Scientist with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Let's get to all your
2: calls. Talk Radio, Talk radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist.
0: Mole and Weinberg, good morning.
1: Hi, Chris. Um, I'm wanting to know if one falls asleep night after night after night with the radio playing above your head, what effect this would have on the brain given that... At night, quite a lot of um, difficult, um, violent issues uh, are, are sometimes often discussed. If one sleeps with the radio on you know, every night, falls asleep with the radio on every night, what effect this could have on the brain or on the mind or on whatever?
3: Hello, Mo. Well, I think it's going to vary from person to person. Because some people need that chronic background noise in order to feel normal and feel relaxed. Because at the end of the day, in order to fall asleep, you have to feel tired and relaxed. And if you've got a problem with not feeling tired and relaxed, you won't fall asleep. Some people lull themselves off into a sense of of relaxation uh, by listening to the radio. And it's quite funny because a lot of people write to me and they say, hey, I listen to the Naked Scientist and I can fall asleep to your program. and We say, oi, what are you talking about? You know, and they're actually meaning that in a nice way in the sense yeah. that they're saying, I listen to this in a, as a way to relax myself into a quiet contemplative state before I drift off into the land of Nod. Yeah. Others, like me, uh, really struggle. I, I am a very light sleeper and any kind of noise, I really struggle to get to sleep with that. So I think it will vary from person to person. If you're the kind of person that needs to have a bit of noise or some kind of gentle stimulation to actually make yourself feel relaxed and tired, then it's unlikely to do you any harm whatsoever, and it'll do you more harm if you haven't got that sort of environment so you you feel rested when you wake up the next day. I I think there's, there's limited evidence that your brain is attending to this material being presented to it in a meaningful way so I don't think you're going to damage or influence your thought processes because at the end of the day when you go to sleep your brain effectively isolates a lot of your senses from what's going on internally and uses the sleep time to process and consolidate memory and to throw away a lot of rubbish or disconnect bits of rubbish that it, it doesn't want from the day to refine your, the way your brain is wired up so that when it boots itself back up the next day you're in a much more cognitively fit state um, and, you know, you only have to look at someone who's deprived of sleep for a period of time, like I now am, to realize how deleterious it can be. Yes, okay. Thank
1: you so
0: Mel, much. and just before you go, uh, thanks yeah. for listening all night, huh? <laughs>
1: Thank
0: you. <laughs> <Bye-bye>. <laughs> Barry in Parkhurst, good morning.
1: Hi, good morning. Chris, uh, I know it sounds like a stupid question, but how do marine mammals stay hydrated?
3: Hello, Barry. Well, there's a number of ways that they do this, and the... the Number one key thing to remember is that humans are also mammals, and we get a huge amount of the water that we need in a day just by burning sugar. Because when you take glucose, which is our body's common energy currency in in the majority of our tissues, the formula for glucose is C6H12O6. And when you burn it with oxygen, which is 6O2, what you get is six molecules of CO2, a big wham of energy and six molecules of water, six times H2O and therefore just by burning sugar you make water in your body so one big source of water in in any kind of mammalian species is the metabolism of glucose. The other thing they do is to have various ways of dealing with excess salt so many of these animals have very good kidneys and they also have mechanisms for excluding the sodium from the food that they eat because they'll eat food which like fish, tends to be quite rich in sodium, and they'll also take in water just accidentally, uh, which is rich in sodium, and they have ways of getting rid of that sodium and and, and chucking it out of their body, either in sweat or, or urine secretions or in salivary secretions as well, and they can therefore maintain the water and chuck away the sodium. They'll do that by burning some energy to help them do it, but that's basically what they do. Definitely. Thank you.
0: Thanks for the call, Barry. Let's go from Barry in Parkhurst to uh, Gordon in Killarney. Good morning, Gordon.
3: Hi, Chris. I love that word, naked. Oh, I love it. Two (laughs) things I've got to ask you. Is it true that if you fall off a certain height, like if you want to commit suicide, before you hit the ground, you die? And
1: if so, why? And my second question is, why in the old days... When we played sport, we didn't spit. Now,
3: when I take my grandson to practice, they all practice spitting. Why is that?
0: Conan and Gillani, fascinating questions. questions.
3: Yeah. Um, so the first one was about whether or not you're actually die dead before you hit the ground after you fall from a certain height. I think the answer to that one is probably not, and we know that because we've got accounts from people who have dropped out of the sky and they don't they don't lose consciousness some of them unfortunately remember right up until the moment when they slam into the ground so that would be the first point there's no reason for you to die one one reason why people falling from high altitude might lose consciousness might be that the extreme stress and panic could drive their heart into an abnormal rhythm And this could lead to the heart either stopping cardiac arrest or going into some other so-called arrhythmia where it's beating incredibly fast or irregularly and not pumping enough blood to keep you conscious. That could happen, although probably rarely. Um, Also, people who have fallen from very, very great heights. There was a lady in Queensland, Australia, who was doing paragliding. And unfortunately, a big storm blew in and she went up inside a cloud, and in the space of literally seconds, she went from normal safe paragliding height to equivalent to the height of Mount Everest, and the oxygen up there is a fraction of what, um, in terms of its pressure, of what you would have at ground level. And she wasn't acclimatized, so she lost consciousness. And then she came drifting back down, luckily with her chute deployed, and um, therefore made a controlled landing but completely unconscious. But she, she was unconscious because of lack of oxygen. She made a full recovery, albeit with a little bit of frostbite. So on the whole, I think it's unlikely people would be would be unconscious before they hit the ground, and it would be the, the deceleration that would do for them. The spitting, I think this is what we call social norms. It's uh, something which historically it was it was all right to spit in the same way as it was all right to dump your sewage in the street. Mm. Then people discovered that actually this is not such a pleasant habit, so it became frowned upon. Um, and then more recently, people who are high profile do something, and if high profile people do things, other people tend to copy them. So it's sort of back on vogue again. And so mm. I think it's just people mm. copying. Copying them, and then it's become a socially acceptable thing that that's what certain groups of society do.
0: Thea in Pretoria. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Uda, how are you? Very
0: well, ma'am. Your question.
1: My question relates. Hi, hi. Um, uh, 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 my question relates to the fascial system in the body, the system of fascia. Um, A a lot has been written about it lately and it's been seen to, you know, treatment is seen to be an alternative to contemporary medicine. My physio has been treating me for about a year um, for that and I have a lot of very good um, results from that. Can, Can Stephen tell us a little bit more about that?
0: Thanks for the question, Thea.
3: Hello. Well, fascia is connective tissue. And if you look at different parts of your body, they're often divided into just a second.
0: <laughs> I tell you what, Chris, feel that call. I'm going to take a break and come back with apologize your answer. With,
3: apologize with oh, you fine, m- You're there's fine. There's multiple phones in this room. I
0: tell you what, if you need to attend to it, I'm going to take a quick break and come back okay. with you afterwards. Yeah? All right. Fantastic. It's live radio, ladies and gentlemen
2: talk radio 702 and 567 cape talk the naked Scientist. Well,
0: i have to go to the end of the slot the naked scientist standing by let's start off with uh and singh in, in fact before we go there you were just uh, talking about the fascia system in in the body chris before the break
3: yeah i had this question about fascia and if you look at different parts of your body you'll often find that they're divided up into separate compartments and Between these compartments can be these layers of connective tissue. In some cases, they're layers of this stuff, fascia. And when you have this disease necrotizing fasciitis, it's where a bug is growing along these planes of tissue or these dividing lines between tissues and spreading and damaging them. They're nothing more than just anatomical boundaries. They provide a supporting role and a structural role Um, but I wouldn't say there's any particular branch of medicine which is uh, devoted purely to management of conditions through the manipulation of, of these fascial compartments. It's a bit like saying I've got several different lobes to my liver um there's nothing special about each of them individually they're, they're, they're all parts of your liver they're just that's just the, the shape of your liver in the same way that you have different bits of your body that have fascia around them so i'm not i'm not sure that, that i understand exactly how that aspect of medicine would would be organized but if, if you want to send me a bit more information i'll perfectly happy to take a look at it for you
0: all right we'll connect the two of you via email uh colin uh, colin rather in Woodmead. good morning
3: good yes, morning hi chris um and I recently took my daughter to a dinosaur exhibition in Santon, um, where they had these, uh, you know, apparently lifestyle uh, reconstructions of
1: dinosaurs. It was quite impressive. You know, they had texture and all these features, horns, etc., and even sounds coming out of dinosaurs. My question is: to what degree of accuracy can they replicate, create a reconstructed model of a dinosaur? I understand how they can get the size estimation quite accurate, but
3: the rest of all the details. Um, you know, what to give accuracy? Can they can they replicate that? Hello, That's Colin, my... or should I say Colleen? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, up until if you'd asked that question about ten years ago, then the best anyone could have told you is that, having looked at what we thought dinosaurs were like and looking at contemporary species like crocodiles, therefore the best guess is that they would have looked something like this. This field has moved on leaps and bounds in the last five or six years and this is because scientists have made a number of really important discoveries about fossils and it turns out that fossils aren't just a stony replica of what was there in life because if you examine fossils with very powerful microscopy using electron microscopes, you can pick out very fine features in the surface layers of a dinosaur where the skin would have been. And specifically, you can pick out chemicals which would have been in structures called melanosomes. The melanosomes, as the name suggests, were rich in the chemical melanin. And you can even find, by using various techniques, vestiges of the original melanin chemicals in the skin that's fossilized which means that you can therefore work out exactly what colour some of these dinosaurs were, and that's exactly what they've been able to do. And we know that some dinosaurs also have feathers or had feathers all over them, and that you can again use the structures of these melanosomes, which we can see in living creatures like birds, which are the direct descendants of the dinosaurs, and you can say, well, we know what their melanosome structures are, and we know what colour they are, so if we find the equivalent structure in a dinosaur then we can infer that the dinosaur probably had similar pigmentation patterns. And so now they're building up a very good profile of what the coloration of these dinosaurs probably would have been. And also you can even see fossil feathers in some of these extraordinary specimens coming out of China now. Um, So we know that some dinosaurs also had very, very delicate feather structures. And in terms of the sounds that dinosaurs made, this is largely done by extrapolating We know basically how animals produce sound and we know how the sound resonates in the head. And so you can therefore take a model of a dinosaur's head and ask a computer with this sort of resonant cavity, what sorts of sounds would it produce? And this means that you can then not just produce a a picture of what the dinosaur would have looked like. You can also begin to get some kind of idea as to what it would have sounded like as well.
0: Chris, thank you so much for this morning, and you'll be back with us in a week's time. Now, The Naked Scientist was brought to you by Grolsch Premium Lager. Grolsch, choose interesting, not for sale to persons under the age of 18.